everybody. Welcome back. Today I have Sam on from Twink Revolution and we are doing this episode because yesterday it was the 22nd anniversary of the NATO bombing of Yugoslavia. Um, Kind of a grim uh, anniversary to commemorate. Um, I I wanted to do this episode because I think there's a lot that people don't know about this issue, including myself. Um, And I think that it's something that we can all learn learn from. So in light of that, uh, I brought Sam on and uh, I wanted to listen to Yugoslavian voices uh, and Melania was not available, um, but maybe next time. So for now, <laughs> how's it going, Sam? Good, good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. So I think it would be good to do like a bit of a recap of what exactly happened. Why was NATO bombing Yugoslavia? And like there's a mainstream media narrative and there is also other explanations. So do you want to kind of run down what went on and what happened? Yeah, so the NATO bombings happened in 1999 and lasted for 78 days where basically NATO forces said they were bombing just military targets within like Yugoslavia, which can basically consist of Serbia and Montenegro. Um, But that wasn't true. They bombed hospitals, schools, pretty much all of the public-owned radio and television, national parks. They bombed religious and cultural sites. You know, basically everything. Like they bombed the Chinese embassy as well. They committed a lot of things that are considered international war crimes, like bombing, you know, civilians, bombing an embassy, (laughs) Um, bombing some journalist facilities, which killed journalists, which are war crimes. Um, But it's basically a long legacy of imperialism and colonialism ruling over the Balkan region, which goes back to basically the Ottoman and the Austro-Hungarian empires ruling the region and then the Nazis. And then (laughs) um, they had some independence and then U.S. imperialism basically crushed them and balkanized them where the great term comes from and led them to become a bunch of like right-wing crap government states like i don't know (laughs) yeah and so what was nato's rationale at the time because clearly like when you're trying to sell this to the public you're not going to say like we want to balkanize the region so to speak (laughs) or like we're going to commit some war crimes um so do you like do you want to go over the rationale and what that what similarities that might have to pro-war rationales today yeah, so this one was over the Kosovo separatists, um, the Kosovo Liberation Army, which was classified as a terrorist group for a very long time by the U.S. government, um, was delisted and viewed as like a freedom fighter kind of thing we hear over and over again, whether it's Libya or Syria or China or wherever. Um, but basically the rationale was, well, we don't want a Bosnia to happen again. Um, Bosnia along with like a few other countries like um, Croatia and Slovenia split, but Bosnia had a lot of war crimes. It was much bloodier than Croatia and Slovenia. And basically the rationale was, well, we got to protect these people. These bloodthirsty um, Serbs are going to slaughter the Albanian Kosovo people. They basically branded Milosevic, the current leader, as the butcher of the Balkans, or I think Bill Clinton called him like, um, basically Hitler, which is hilarious. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was about human rights. It's kind of what makes the topic untouchable to most people is because. Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, it makes it untouchable because um, anyone who basically condemns or challenges the narrative of NATO or the Bosnia situation or the Balkanization is slandered as a genocide denier. Um, the libs love it. It's like the one topic where even like Bernie Sanders was like, oh, 
I support this. They're not cooperating with our unreasonable um, imperialist things, which basically demanded um, Yugoslavia give up this region they rightfully own as a sovereign nation, Kosovo, um, but also letting um, U.S. NATO troops to occupy the region. So basically letting NATO come in and occupy your own country, which was three of. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that sounds, it, it's crazy to see because you see like the kind of rhetoric just reproduce itself. And I kind of remember um, when I took uh, international law, uh, I, I mean, I'm taking another class in it now, but um, when I took it previously um, before as well, we kind of looked at Kosovo as like a sort of example of where uh, NATO can do good things. Mm -hmm. And so like it's ne it never even occurred to like to anyone really what um, like you don't really hear it the other sorts of side of the story i guess yeah um so what um would you say would be the sort of interest like the actual interest versus uh the sort of publicly stated one like what interest did nato have in balkanizing yeah um well i think for starters breaking up a country via nationality when it was so united for so long as a plurinational state is a common tactic for imperialism to basically keep it divided and like a little nationalist cronies operate these countries. I mean, we see it with China where they try to separate based on ethnic groups or the Middle East where they keep trying to push this narrative like, oh, it's a sectarian thing, just blind nationalism. It's like, no, like most people didn't want Yugoslavia to like break apart. Um, but also Yugoslavia had a, a large um, state-run industry. They had oil, they have factories and farmland and a workforce for exploitation as well as um, it kind of put barriers for things like pipelines and stuff. They were also close with Russia and like, you're not going to bomb Russia. They have nukes. So you're going to do Yugoslavia. I mean, Yugoslavia... It's one of the last sovereign states after color revolution, after color revolution, Eastern Europe. And it was basically like, well, the Soviet Union's gone. We don't care about Yugoslavia being maintained as like a kind of socialist opposition because they had tensions from disagreements back in the day. Um, so they could finally take them out and basically created the platform that led to every other, you know, U.S. intervention from Syria, Libya, um, Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a sort of prototype in a way. Like it seems like it was the first, not that there weren't like color revolutions, as you mentioned. Um, but yeah, it really seemed like a sort of precursor. Mm -hmm. um, the sort of div division among sectarian lines also kind of reminds me of like earlier periods in the Middle East. So like during the mandate system, um, where like Lebanon was tried, like the French wanted to make it an explicitly Christian country and sort of divide uh, among those lines as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's interesting that it served as a sort of early model. What has kind of blew my mind with this is that even the people who opposed, like say the war in Iraq uh, or Libya, seem to have supported the Yugoslavia bombings, right? Like, I think yeah. you, you mentioned that Bernie Sanders supported it even. Mm -hmm. So so why why do you think this, what, what makes this one stand out, that even so-called leftists um, yeah. or whatever? I think so, the big thing is um, we didn't really have social media when Yugoslavia thing, like with Libya and even like Iraq, we kind of had some semblance of like, we have inside sources. There was more knowledge of like people being like, oh, well, we can share stuff on the early internet. Um, Yugoslavia didn't have that. I mean, it's kind of crazy because Yugoslavia has so many connections to things like 9-11, like two of the people that fought in the Bosnia war under the Bosnian Mujahideen 
were people on a flight, a 9-11 flight into Pentagon. And they fought in, they're from Saudi Arabia. They fought in Afghanistan. Like a lot of the Mujahideen and Al-Qaeda in Bosnia and stuff went to um, Chechnya and Pakistan and Afghanistan and later Syria and um, Iraq. And it's like, no one knows this because we're just told like, oh, just like the evil Serbian Milosevic against these innocent people. And it's like, no, there was right-wing forces, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Kuwait, spend millions of dollars on like these Wahhabist terrorists in Bosnia and Coastal Liberation Army was also basically Wahhabis later on, also funded by heroin trade and organ harvesting and the prostitution trade. Like these are not nice people. I'm not like, oh my God. Yeah. there was crimes on all sides. Like it was a war. Like, um, but you see even Marxist Leninists who don't want to read about it. And they're like, oh, well, we can't talk about it. We don't I've seen people like don't hurt their feelings. Cause like people were, um, their lives were destroyed from this. And it's like, um, I even saw someone say, don't compare it to, the um, Uyghur situation in China because they're vastly different. Like, but this is the platform where like genocide as a term is like used against the left to basically shut down criticism. Like it just mind blowing. It's, and it's also like, who knows about it? Like no one has heard about it. I didn't know about it. And like my dad's Slovenian and Croatian, like American, obviously, but it's like, you would think I would have heard a little bit, like Irish yeah. people know a little bit of like their heritage. And I was like, how I got into it. I was like, oh, I want to know more about, you know, my dad's side, because I know nothing. I was like all around German people and stuff. And it's like, oh, fuck, we had a war and I had no idea. And I'm like 20 something at this time. And I'm like, shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is. It's crazy. And like it it it's uh, interesting that you're drawing this connection with, with China because I think there is definitely like last last week I had Alex Rubenstein on and he was talking about how um like they want the province of Xinjiang because of these like their explicit uh, economic interests that are involved with with that province and I think similarly there are these economic interests involved as well with with the Balkans I also though it's interesting because you see sort of like you're saying there was the funding of Wahhabis like from Saudi Arabia and so it's there is that sort of ideological component as well mm-hmm. or do you think that that was just kind of like a facade for the more material component um I think they kind of went hand in hand. I mean, when Bosnia split, they basically, their leader was an Islamist. He grew closer ties with like, you know, the Islamic um, countries around the world and wanted to, you know, revitalize it and all of that stuff. While Croatia also had like a a flirtiness with like the Ustasi pass, which was like the ones who befriended the Nazis. Like <laughs> um, actually Bosnia's first president may have been a Nazi. There's kind of debate around it, but um, the sources claimed he wasn't part of the SS when they were t- occupying the region. Um, and the guy president was like, I'll sue you. And he never sued. I wonder why, like, <laughs> um, but I think it kind of was at the time when um, funding money to is- Islamist groups was very useful in destroying like independent states or socialist leaning states. And Bosnia, Bosnia particularly um, was kind of the taking off point for like the, the jihad movement. Like mm-hmm. Afghanistan often is like the one like, oh, it started, but they went there and that's really where it spread. Like these people went all over the world to fight this kind of Islamist jihad, like Osama bin Laden visited Bosnia and I believe Kosovo. And I think the president actually offered him citizenship in Bosnia. Like, it's like, and no one knows this, but it's like, there's these massive amounts of like counter revolutions and people that just went to fight war after war after war. It's like, take out Yugoslavia and then we're going to go to Chechnya and we're going to go to Afghanistan and Pakistan. And then, we're going to go to all these other, it's, it's like, it's mind blowing. Like, <laughs> no, yeah, it's crazy. And I know like one of the, um, 
the victims of communism guy uh Brzezinski. i probably don't don't know how to pronounce it but <laughs> but i'm just gonna just take a stab at that uh yeah so he like i remember reading um documents from him where he was talking about afghanistan um and he was kind of saying like yeah like there is a sort of calculus that we make um about you know whose side do we take the islamists or or the communists and uh, you know the islamists are useful against the communists and we'll side with them every time and you see the way that like you know voc ended up siding with the mujahideen as well and so it's interesting to see that dynamic as well in yugoslavia and then as well in um in syria but i guess what's surprising to me is like before um, I read more, like I just thought that Syria was like the almost like the beginning of it, like with the funding of Islamists, the, the US like before, or, or I guess like shortly after 9-11, I guess was more like Islamophobic, so to speak. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is there a sort of, is there a similar discourse around this with the Yugoslavia? Like, do they talk about Islamophobia at all when you try to criticize uh, these Saudi-backed leaders? Is this another Syria? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think that comes up. I think people don't even want to acknowledge that aspect because when you kind of touch on the religious aspect, um, you have to address the question that pretty much like the Croats, the Serbs and the Bastians, they're all like the same like origin of people. They just split through imperialism and colonization along religious lines. Like um, the Ottomans brought a kind of liberal-esque Islam, like the the Bastians and the Kosovites um, had a very like, you know, liberal like um, sort of Islam where there can be bars on the same street as mosques. Now there's Wahhabist cells and cells of like people fighting like ISIS and going, you know, to do extremism worldwide. Um, you have uh, Serbians who are um, Orthodox, hence why they aligned more of like Russia and like Greece and stuff. And then you have the um, Croats and the Slovenes who are Catholic. So they were run by the Austro-Hungarians, but like, you don't even, I don't think people even want to go into that because even if you touch on it, people are like, oh, well, Milosevic was still a bad guy. Um, it's kind of like, oh, well, he was a bad person, but we shouldn't have bombed. And that's where the conversation ends without ever investigating, like, who, like, what was the reality? Like, what were the lies told? Like, um, it's also the height of like feminism being imperialist, like, the like, like accusations of like, there's mass um, rape and, that pushed by the Serbian forces on the country. And of course, like with all war, there was like rape, but it wasn't policy in the same way. It wasn't policy in Libya to like give Viagra to soldiers yeah. to rape the masses. Um, well, in Libya was fully false. Like there was no evidence of the Viagra thing even being real. Like it's, but yeah. it is something that happened. Like sexual violence is a part of war. So it's mm-hmm. like, I would believe it if, like, I, I wouldn't believe the Viagra thing. I think that is a little insane, but like, <laughs> it's believable that um, that there would be sexual violence in the time of war. Um, but yeah, whether like the president or the head of state is commanding that is the question of fact, and you have to substantiate those facts. And the numbers were just ridiculous from certain sources. Like some would have had every single Serbian, like Yugoslav soldier, raping at least like three or four times, like three or four different women. It's like, that's just not real. And none of the numbers, it was probably in like the hundreds or a few thousand, but like they were saying like in the millions and it's like, wow. Yeah. It's a bit much. Yeah. (laughs) It's also kind of funny because when you go to the Nazi era, like the Croats and like the Bosnians were friendly with like the Nazis. Um, Obviously that's not all of them, but like there was the, ruling class forces were alliances and were actually putting Serbian people on of like Jews, Romani people into concentration camps. Like when you hear the Slavs in the camps, it was like the Slovenians and the Serbians and stuff. It wasn't the Croats and the Bosnians. Like <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, 
I, I guess like another thing I'm I'm like a bit curious about is one of the sort of narratives in humanitarian intervention is that this population is being held captive by the head of state and they're like asking NATO to come in. Like that was the narrative with Libya and uh, to an extent with Syria um, where it's kind of like, dear mister, whatever, like, please come bomb my country. Um, so do we have data on uh, how the population in Yugoslavia felt about these NATO bombings? Was it welcomed by anyone? Was it like, besides the Islamist factions, um, was it popular or unpopular? So a lot of the countries or like regions that separated, for starters, they got a lot of funding um, from the US, but also Germany. Germany was a very big force and balkanization as they're kind of rising as like the EU figurehead. I mean, they don't want this problematic neighbor. So they were very big into funding opposition, right-wing nationalist parties. And in, it was in 1990, they switched from a one-party sort of state to multi-party systems and allowed elections in there. And most of them, um, besides Serbia and Montenegro, voted for not the socialist party run by Milosevic. Um, so I think there was people who were upset, but the country was also under brutal sanctions. There was already a lot of pretext with IMF debt, which was a failure, a fault of the Joseph Tito's leadership where he took a bunch of Western debt and then it fucked the country and led to privatization and also decentralized to more regions. And that kind of built resentment among nationalities because Croats and Slovenes were wealthier while like things like Macedonia and Serbia were much poorer. So a lot more of their wealthy money was going to these regions to like bring them up. And that created resentment when they kind of decentralized. And um, yeah, so there was people that wanted in, but I think a lot of people wanted to stay or had the false illusion that if they did separate, they'd still be having all of these benefits and it didn't turn out to be true. They just led to like the mass privatization, um, great restrictions on like speech and opposition, like, and then in Kosovo, even the Albanian, uh, Kosovo was very diverse. So like they wanted, um, the, the KLA was basically pissed about the Serbians cracking down on dissent, people who want to leave and started blowing up police stations. And that led to conflict and, you know, the Serbian government or Yugoslav government's going to crack down on that. Um, but it basically led to a mass sort of cleansing of the region, which was extremely diverse in like ethnicity. Like it was more than just like Albanians and Serbs. It was like, there was Greeks and there was um, Hungarians and all of these other little groups, kind of like Northern Syria where like just a lot of ethnic groups and you like don't hear about them, but almost all of them like kind of left. I think it became 80% Albanian when that was not the case prior. And even Albanians who didn't want were basically forced to leave the land because it was like basically nationalist project. They wanted a greater Albania. Um, and that meant ideal goal was taking land from Greece, taking land from Serbia, okay, Kosovo, and I think Macedonia. So just like there was people, it, was, it wasn't the majority. They didn't want, or at least they didn't think they know what they wanted. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I think in general, like, most people don't want war. It's just like during like the narrative, I feel like there's a, a, always so many people that are recruited by like NATO um, or like even like Saudi or like it just a lot of the sort of regime change crowd, they're like, they like pick people out to kind of be like, yes, come bomb us. And then they yeah. make it seem like, um critics of bombing these other countries are the ones who are evil and like not listening to uh the people of these other countries uh so that's why i was i was curious mm -hmm. it's actually really funny when a year later after the bombing campaign 
um, Milosevic was removed from power after massive funding from opposition by the West, um, imperialist powers. But like some of the younger people who created the protest and basically ousting of the leadership, some of them went on MTV and were like awarded, like some award, I forgot what it was, but they were on MTV. And it's like, we're allowed to believe that they were the, they're the voice of the generation. They're, you know, the same as we hear over and over again of like, oh, this person's the voice. And it's like, yeah, the voice funded millions of dollars by like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that stuff is always like very suspicious to me. And I also think like, like one of the things that I wanted to ask is like, there seems to have been very long-term consequences um i like yesterday on the anniversary of the bombing i was seeing people share their stories about like their families and how their families were traumatized and devastated um do you want to maybe speak to the long-term consequences of this invasion and where things are at today yeah um I think for starters, it's important to point out that the bombing campaigns by NATO polluted the land with depleted uranium. A lot of the weapons were depleted uranium-tipped weapons. And obviously, Serbia and the region around there is one of the highest cancer rates in Europe. Yet they keep denying, like, oh, there's there's no connection. It's kind of like Fallujah. We're like, oh, we, it's not us. It's just like something else. It's magic, you know. <laughs> um, but the country also in Occurred like I think it was over a hundred billion dollars in damages while having God, I think it was like a it was a trillion dollars in like debt or something like that. It was it was a lot of debt, it was even the billions. Um I don't know if my numbers in front of me. <laughs> um, but it was a massive amount of debt. So these countries basically had all of their major industry that led to them being somewhat independent be destroyed in this an influx of Things like foreign media, foreign markets now were opened up for sales versus, you know, state-run like automobile factories or um, state-run oil refineries. Um, plus like the national parks, the Balkan area is like the in the top 13 most biodiverse regions in the world. And they bombed fertilizer factories and chemical factories. So a lot of that pollutants like went into the the rivers and the water systems and stuff. And it hasn't been cleaned up. Like in, Ser- like in um, Belgrade, a lot of the buildings are still in like shambles and it's been over 20 years, like, wow. like crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's horrific. And I, I think I've seen, you know, similarly um, like in, in Lebanon, there's like still buildings that are destroyed from like, decades of war as well it, it is a really devastating event um one of the things like I also wanted to know or like discuss is you know what kind of accountability processes there's there's been for this because you hear about like Yugoslavian generals going on trial um but has there been any sort of accountability for the people who backed this bombing and if so like what's it been like um i'd say the people had no accountability i mean there was people arrested from all different camps but it was primarily fixated on um serbian forces obviously painting this idea of like this kind of fitting message like this evil serbians against you know the poor innocent people i've actually from like haters um who are like international relations like like you're what you hate these people i'm like i'm part croatian they're like well you're betraying your kind and i was like what the fuck like (laughs) you're a socialist like shut up like um but the international criminal tribunal of former yugoslavia was the supposed um you know alleviation process but it it wasn't a fair process. Like for starters, it was funded only by like Western countries like the US, Canada, um, Germany, and they're kind of like proxy states. Like there was no involvement of Russia. There was no China. There was no other forces, you know, 
people that played a role as well. Um, but also they were funded by um, the Open Societies Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation. Like they let capitalist nonprofits finance this like force, which also refused to like pr prosecute any war crimes of NATO forces or politicians, zero accountability. Um, the court would not apply fairly in U.S. context. There was no juries. Um, you had to prove your innocence. It was um, guilty until proven innocent beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, a lot of your people could be like hidden um, identities. So you don't know who's talking. They're hidden. Um, the trials were long and they even force fed prisoners and they defended that. Um, so there wasn't really a lot of accountability. And then the one accountability, which kind of, basically was hidden in the media was Slobodan Milosevic, who was basically acquitted of the major crimes he was accused of. Um, but the media didn't cover it. It was kind of hidden in a report of another person. Um, and he died in jail before his trial, I believe, finished. So, Wow, I didn't know yeah. he was acquitted of the, the crimes. That's yeah. wild. Yeah, I mean... I like the only times I've like heard about Milosevic is just like a sort of in the same way that you hear about any sort of enemy of the mm -hmm. US or whatever. Like it's just like a very caricatured, like this person's evil for the sake of being evil. Um and and I I feel like that is just part of the the rhetoric that just hasn't changed at all. Um, but it's been interesting to see. Um, you know, there's a sort of inconsistency, I would say, among like lefties or whatever we want to call them these days um, in that respect. Right. Because it's just like they might see that um, they might see how it's ridiculous in the case of like the Iraq war, but they're not going to see that in the case of Yugoslavia. So it's yeah, it's like, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's kind of funny. I mean, like not to like compare people. I'm like, if comparing like Slobodan Milosevic, like Saddam Hussein is like not a fair thing, but I think to many people, they'd have a nicer viewpoint of like Saddam compared to Slobodan. Um, even though a lot of the crimes he was put in prison for um, and put on trial for, he didn't commit. Um, other forces did do the crimes. Um, there, there was Serbians who did crimes just like, Bosnian said and Croats did as well as the Kosovo um, people but it's like he wasn't the monster everyone painted him as he's I mean <laughs> it's just a very unfair like viewpoint when he won elections like he was democratically elected he wasn't a dictator he had one of the largest oppositions in like parliament and congress of any European country um, which you don't allow with a dictator. You don't allow opposition to have a say. You don't allow opposition media to function in your country. Well, like in Croatia, there was no opposition. They just went to jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think also it's just kind of like, again, it's when it's like a country that's not your own, it's so easy to like attribute everything like caricatured and bad. Mm -hmm. Like we don't really view um, like it's like in the U.S. like you you basically have a one party state and like there's no real like there's no real opposition in the elections. You have like you recycle the same few families and the same few, uh, <laughs> you know, like it, it's really it's funny. But no one ever really calls that like a dictatorship or, or no one really calls it like you know, no one uses the same kind of tropes um, that they would use in, in these countries. And I guess it's something both of us, both of us know. And it's just, mm -hmm. um, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my, my, my sort of last question-ish is, is I want to get your take on what, and again, I hate using the term the left because it's like, what even is that? <laughs> but like, what can like, socialists and Marxists um, learn 
from this from this whole ordeal what lessons can we learn from the way that this rolled out now 22 years later um if any yeah um i mean i think there's a lot to learn i i really recommend michael parenti is to kill a nation um has so much information you just would never hear and it's he uses primarily actually like imperialist media sources he doesn't use like the russian or other sources he uses like french and german and u.s sources to prove his point of like this is not what we're told it is um but i think there's just so much history where we need to learn how narratives are crafted and i think yugoslavia's breakup balkanization is like so useful because we keep seeing these things over and over again. We keep hearing Assad's, you know, doing all these crimes. He's doing genocide. Um, China's doing genocide. Libya's doing like, like you hearing genocide, and you hear the same things about like um, mass rape and um, all of these things, which could be happening. But it's like we need sources. We need facts. We're not just making up shit. On that, that's not a good reason to start wars. Um, I think it's also really important for people who are really into the Middle East kind of politics of imperialism to study Yugoslavia because I think they'll learn a lot of why it happened and where these people come from and where were they radicalized. And it's where like, were they radicalized? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like Yugoslavia played a ground and it still is playing a ground and you're just not hearing about like Bosnia couldn't have a gay pride until 2019 because like Wahhabists kept threatening to like bomb or massacre the events it's like you you don't think of bosnia that way you think of like oh just this european country it's like no it's a hotbed like kosovo for like wahhabist and you know terrorist cells and stuff <laughs> um i also think it makes people realize like life is not like idealist fairy tale like i think people once they hear oh they did one wrong thing we suddenly have to oppose them. And it's like, well, that's not how the world works. War is messy and war is complicated. And there is crimes that happen and those should be dealt with. But you don't just like betray a whole nation because a few like soldiers do horrific things. Like the rest of the people didn't do that. Yep, it allowed mass bombings and one lasting consequences. Yeah, and like collective punishment, essentially, you know. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely a lesson. And I personally like need to definitely read more because I, I like, I am one of those people that do pay attention to uh, Middle East politics, and I, I have really noted a lot of similarities um, that are very relevant and it's crazy to me and I guess we see this now with George Bush as well like it's crazy to me that um like Bill Clinton is in the public eye so much and like no one really talks about his role here like it's not no one's being like let's deplatform him for uh <laughs> for like this right like it's 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 kind of crazy like it's because now you're seeing like the result was like far far right people being empowered yeah and and i mean like a lot of the figureheads for the iraq invasion like madeline albright was like this is a good thing we're doing it um joe biden supported um the nato bombings um if you go to kosovo there's streets and there's even a statue of bill clinton in kosovo because he's like so like celebrated there by like these right-wing state um and it's like there's no accountability for these people they just kept doing the same thing over and learn from mistakes but like luckily russia and and now even like china have been like a little more attentive and not just letting it happen so easily i think the issue of yugoslavia as well like some russian people did help um i don't think enough was done to prevent it. it and like China was kind of not in a phase where they wanted to get into all of these conflicts. Um, right. 
Yeah. Kind of like Libya, where both Russia and China were like, well, I guess it's happening. And it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. You probably shouldn't have just let them do it so easily. <laughs> yeah. And I think Libya is one of the like really big examples of like like it really checks all the boxes in the sort of uh interventionist regime changers toolkit right mm-hmm. like the way that Gaddafi was portrayed um versus like how he actually governed is pretty wild right like he's portrayed as like a total psycho yeah <laughs> um who like wasn't rational like and I think that's kind of my issue with a lot of these narratives he's like regime change narratives is that they portray these leaders like these non-western leaders as though they're like crazy and they're just like they want to see the world burn and that's why they do what they do yeah and like just because you acknowledge like you can acknowledge that a head of state is a rational actor without endorsing them Mm -hmm. but it seems like if you say why would they do that like that's not that doesn't sound like a behavior of a rational actor suddenly you're making excuses for them and it's almost like you know this is this is like one of the areas in politics where intellectual curiosity is like very heavily punished Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's the thing of these leaders is i think people are i'm afraid to criticize too heavily any leader because then you can kind of fall into like the oh well you're supporting imperialism but also if you don't offer any genuine analysis of like these governments and stuff, you're also kind of not doing anything for like working class people. Like, like, I mean, you don't need to paint like Slobodan Milosevic or Gaddafi or anyone like as utopian like idols. Um, but we can also acknowledge like those weren't like worker states, like in the sense that we would understand as like, Marxist um yeah doesn't make them not progressive they were steps forward in national liberation and stuff like they weren't imperialist neo-colonies and that's good for everyone like (laughs) yeah I mean I think Canada is doing some terrible stuff so like sometimes and I think also though like I like having healthcare. like it's like you know there's like I can say like good and bad things about Canada um but like the fact that it's doing all these terrible things um say to indigenous people is not like I would never be like okay yeah that that means that we should be bombed you know like that the <laughs> doesn't or like sanctioned or whatever like this seems it's just really it seems like only something that you can ask for if you're so disconnected from a place that you don't understand how this impacts people. And I think, you know, with Yugoslavia, it's really something where we don't understand how mm-hmm. these bombings has have had these effects and these long-term effects as well. I think the saddest thing is, is like Yugoslavia as a plurinational state was formed out of necessity because of domination from outside powers. Um, they were tired of being small little regions taken over by the Ottomans and Austro-Hungarians and all these other forces for so long. Like, well, let's unite. Let's become a stronger power and created the kingdom of Yugoslavia, got destroyed by the Nazis, but then came back as a socialist, plurinational state. And compared to many, it was like quite nice. I mean, they traveled, they had freedom of religion. Um, there was more open media. They tend to be better on like LGBT stuff and stuff like that. Um, and they destroyed all of that. <laughs> and now it's a bunch of like neo-colony EU lackey states that, you know, aren't really helping anyone. I mean, Croatia keeps getting in trouble for like um, having so many like Holocaust deniers. <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh but like this isn't good. Like, look what happened in the outcome. Like, is anyone better for having like Wahhabists throughout Yugoslavia and like, you know, former forces who, you know, question numbers of like the Holocaust and stuff like that and like um figures or like Serbia, they had a lesbian person, but like to join the EU, like it wasn't like good for the country. No one wants that. It's just the desire of the elites. Right. Yeah. And um- yeah, it's just crazy to me to just keep seeing this reproduced over and over again. Like, you know, it's like the invasion of Iraq was 
I think largely responsible for ISIS blooming, right? Mm-hmm. And like, it just always seems to empower like these extremist factions of society in a way that again, makes people who are locally impacted worse off um, where the rest of the world's like disconnected from it. Um, And so, yeah, that's what's always the most devastating thing to me. It's also crazy, like how quickly this can escape the collect memory. I mean, like everyone's like Korea is the forgotten war people have heard more about Korea than they've heard about Yugoslavia. I'm pretty sure you ask any person, they're like, what the fuck is Yugoslavia? And like, yeah. they were like adults when this happened. Yeah. Um, hopefully it doesn't happen with like Syria or Libya or whatever, but it's like, you kind of already see it. We're like, they, we have so many new interventions that we just can't keep track. And then it's like, well, let's just not question anything. Let's just focus on the new thing. And you're like, well, don't talk about that. It's going to hurt people's feelings or it's right. not the same as this. And it's like, no, but it is. <laughs> no, I know. It's it's really wild. And it's, um, that's like the thing too, is like, yeah, it's so, it's talked about so little. And like the fact that Joe Biden is now president instead of like being tried. <laughs> <laughs> you know like that to me is is insane and it's it's incredibly unfortunate it just shows like a sort of moral bankruptness i think yeah um i i guess like my sort of yeah i guess like my last question is like is there anything else that you would want people to sort of know about this in light of it being you know 22 years later and uh yeah like what obviously people are already in the dark about Yugoslavia, but <laughs> anything in particular? Um, not really. I mean, probably I've touched on so many. Yeah, we covered. Um, I just think people need to learn from history because it's so applicable over and over again. We need to like be, be more hesitant. I think of like nationalist sentiments. I think even like the term populism is used as kind of like a replacement for like, like working class solidarity. And that's not what populism means. Um, (laughs) And it can be good, but it's like also cannot not be. And I think we need to be careful. I mean, we can look at Rojava, like that kind of thing where it's like following the same trap. Like, well, we got to separate the Kurdish people and their desire to be separate. And it's like, well, what does that mean for everyone else? Will they become better? And I think Yugoslavia shows being united like on a plural national line is the better option versus having a balkanized thing. Like, could you imagine the Middle East trying to balkanize? It'd be like a fucking nightmare. Like, cause there's so much crossover of like minorities, like kind of like um in Syria or like a lot of like the Christian minorities get massacred in Bosnia. A lot of Christian um, Croats and stuff were also massacred by like extremists. So it's like, I don't think we want to keep making that mistake. Like, let's be careful of like this idea of self-determination when it's like really just like outright nationalism, because right. like is the self-determination really for going to benefit the working masses or is it going to benefit imperialists and, I think I think we know the answer. <laughs> yeah, it's also like really like when you start like cut chopping things up like along ethnic lines, it like it's what like you're creating like seven thousand new countries. Like especially like when you said that and like in terms of Middle East, like I was thinking about how like in even in like the city of Beirut, it's like there's like different religious like people are always say like oh yeah like east beirut's where the christians are and like west beirut's where the sydney muslims are and it's kind of like you know like it's already like seems kind of ridiculous to think like oh yeah like you divide like areas of the city by religion now it's like imagine like carving them up into different countries like just in yeah city alone. <laughs> It's also unfair for like the younger generations who had multi-ethnic families and some of them actually took on the idea of like being Yugoslavian. They were like, I'm not Serbian or Croat, I'm Yugoslavian. What happens to them when you carve it up and split along racial lines? Like 
that's not very nice. Like that's not going to be a good outcome for them. And they're just completely yeah. ignored. Like people don't know that he probably identified as Yugoslavian. They're just like, oh, they were always Serbian and they're always Croatian and they're all Espastian and no one ever changed anything. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. Like I read this book and I like, it's, it's something to do with sectarianization. I can't really remember the title. Um, and it's funny because the authors of it were like, I think, su- largely supportive of some imperialist projects, but there were some good points made. And the points that were made was like sectarianization, like the emphasis of people's uh, differences and, and like, you know, breaking things up by sect has been a tool of ruling classes for so long um, to divide people and exercise their power and so like like yeah even like the term balkanization it's it's used still in so many places in order to like divide divide people and so anyway i don't remember the name of the book and i feel like i shouldn't (laughs) drop it anyway but it was very (laughs) (laughs) not to like throw shade at the last part of the pod um well it's been a pleasure discussing yeah. this um where where do people find you um i'm on twitter at twink rev sam um twink revolution podcast and then twinkrev.com i occasionally drop a piece um there might be some changes in the future. So mm-hmm. keep an eye out for that. <laughs> Definitely keep an eye out. Yeah. And to the listeners, I I'll, I recommend listening to Twin Grove. They've had some really fire episodes lately. So check it out. All right. Well, thank you, Sam. And thank you to the listeners. We'll see you next time. Thanks, us.